Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And I'll be reading the entire chapter. It's only 16 verses. so And connects very well to our topic of being trustworthy. So, Numbers 30. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand, and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips, by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. Also, any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. If she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath, and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Now if her husband makes no response whatever to her from day to day, Then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does not make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth in her father's house. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. The Exodus. All right, we have been considering um, some studies in the book of Proverbs, and so we have, um, as we've looked at these things over the last couple months, we've gone through the preliminaries of it, looking at um, the introduction to the, to the book, the fear of Yahweh, the possession of wisdom, propagation of wisdom, portrait of wisdom, pursuit of wisdom, path of wisdom, and so we have now entered into this phase of the pearls of wisdom, and that is the topical discussions. And so, um, but still seeking to look at these expositionally, um, looking and studying the Word of God as it plays out. Over the last um, couple, and Jimmy, you referred to this in your testimony as well, we saw, and this is kind of where this all, the last section has all come from, that is God is chesed nemet. He is faithful and true. In Proverbs, we read it stating, binding mercy and truth about your neck, but literally it's the words chesed nemet, and that is the fullness of who Yahweh is, that Yahweh is seen throughout the word as being 
faithful and true. He is chesed and amet. So that when Jesus returns on that white horse at the Battle of Armageddon, tattooed, if you would, written on his thigh, is faithful and true. Chesed and amet. That when he comes back, that's who he is. That's the, the fullness of who God is. That he is, if you would, faithful and true. And in that then, because he is faithful and true, we then should be able to trust him with all our hearts, leaning not on our own understanding, acknowledging him in all our ways, knowing that he will then direct our paths. Then we're given two illustrations, if you would, two ways specifically that we can acknowledge him um, in those things. And the first one was honoring him with our material resources, okay? That I'm going to just lay out there the, the trust of material resources that God will provide. I want to give you just a slight little illustration of that. So yesterday I brought in two aluminum pans of heaping with pecans. Yeah, not pecans, right? Anyways, pecans. And so, yeah, yeah. anyways, I love that. But anyways, so anyways, pecans. And so, um, and told the guys, take however many they wanted, but I don't give any um, uh, guarantees on your, your rate of cracking them and finding good ones. Makes sense? Because they're just first fruits. So, so, but two heaping ones. Anyway, so I took those, you guys took all those things. I took home um, the empty one. So if, if there's any left in the kitchen, you guys are welcome to them, okay? But already that empty one I took home is... It's full. So God provides. Does it make sense? You know, again, you have to trust him with your material resources. It goes into everything, okay? That if you trust him with those things, God continually can outgive whatever you do. And I'm not saying that just to pat my back. Just a, It's a comment. It's an illustration from right now, okay? But the second thing is then accepting Yahweh's love, okay? Now, that's a nice way of saying accepting it when, when Yahweh what? Disciplines you or what's the, what's the worst word? chastens you he spanks you okay and uh it's discipline but we take discipline in a negative way but discipline is both positive and negative and yahweh disciplines those whom he he loves he does and so musar um is is used many times throughout then proverbs and throughout the old testament talking about the chastening that god gives us and then it's recorded again in hebrews chapter 12 we want to continue on now. We've done Proverbs 3, looking at that segment. But now into 4, into 5, and such, we're, we go back into discussion of, of wisdom. And we talked about her, okay? Um, as we talked about how she was portrayed um, as, as a woman in the different paths of wisdom and that kind of stuff. So we're going to actually jump now from that segment in Matthew, or Proverbs 3 into Proverbs chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Um, Chuck has read from Numbers 30, which we'll get there in a moment. But I want to look at the first five verses of Proverbs 6 as we then move into this next section. And that is um, being trustworthy. Okay, My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead, plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter and like a bird from the hand of a fowler. Now, specifically, this passage is dealing with becoming surety for somebody else. Okay? I'm going to kind of ignore the financial side of this other than using it as an illustration for today. We'll come back and we're going to look at this probably in three, four weeks from now. We're going to look at the rest of Proverbs 6, looking at some other character traits, diligence and such that, that are being used here. But then we'll come back to the concept of finances, okay, a little bit. And we'll, surety clearly will be one of the concepts that's in there. Um, in my mind, I, I replaced the word surety here and used the word cosine. Make sense? Because that's really what we bring into our, our day today. But integral into this teaching today is this concept, because why it comes into this, where um, then Solomon says, if you become surety, if you have shaken hands in a plunge, then what? Deliver yourself to the extreme that you're going to what? Humble yourself and plead you're going to beg. Make sense? In order to what? Deliver yourself. Why? 
why would that instruction be there? What, what is integral into this uh, conversation that really needs to be addressed? Say again? Anybody? Come on, I'll give you a hint with we're, we're discussing what? Trustworthiness. Pride. pride. Well, not necessarily pride, but you gave your what? Your word. You gave your word. When you became surety, you said, I will personally back that loan. Does that make sense? And in doing it, we're told, you were snared by the words of your mouth. You were taken by your own words. As we read in Numbers 30, which we're going to look at in just a moment, as Chuck read that, that would be considered a rash vow. But even a rash vow is still a what? Vow. Okay? And when you make a promise, that's a vow. Okay? When you make a covenant, that's a vow. When you sign the dotted line, that's a, a vow. You've made a promise. And what we don't understand is that when we do that, we don't just do that between me and the other person. But again, it's like throwing the rock, if you would, in the pond. The ripples go a lot of places. And so, when I do that, I actually am setting an example, not only to everybody else around me, not to, just to the person that I made the promise to, but also to everybody else that's around me. But we're told in 1 Corinthians 11, which we may mention a little bit later on, that even in the realm of submission for a woman, it's on the whole thing. And so there is this spiritual realm that's going on, and we get ourselves caught up in this physical realm, but the reality is that there is this eternal spiritual realm that's going on around me all the time, and I set an example even then unto the angels. And so we want to consider, I want to consider anyways, so by default you're stuck with me here in this one, right? So to consider this concept of trustworthiness that I think is really is the purpose of this whole thing as we go through these things that I think Solomon's just using an illustration to talk about a character trait. That if you are following after wisdom, if you are trusting after God with all your heart, then you yourself are going to become trustworthy. Just as you can trust God to keep his word, so others ought to be able to keep, trust you to keep your word. Okay? So, we want to look at then some the verses that are there on your sheet, if this will respond to me. I don't know what's going on, Mark. Can you help me out? Thank you. Okay, so Numbers 31 to 16 um, is what Chuck just read a little bit ago. And you may think, whoa, that was really, why did we read that? Because again, all the way through there, it's all about what? Vows. But not just about the vows, but about keeping the vows, and when the vows were able to be annulled. So, here's my question to you, wrapping all those 16 verses into, into a little bit, right? When were, was a vow enabled to be annulled? Made void. Anybody? When was a vow allowed to be annulled? When your head absolves you of it. I like how you stated that. Because it doesn't necessarily state that that way, but that's really a true statement. Specifically, it says that when the husband or the father is the only way that a father can annul it for the daughter or a husband can annul it for the, the wife. The minute, the day, the moment that they hear about it. If they hear about it and they let it go, binding. It's not just binding then for the woman, it's also binding for the man. Because if at that moment the, the, the guy doesn't say anything and allows it to be binding, but later on he says, no, I don't want you to do that, then ultimately who's responsible for it not being fulfilled? He is. The guy is. This is, this is what God thinks of us keeping our words. Make sense? If we give our word to do something, then God expects this thing to happen. So verse 2 said, if a man makes a vow to Yahweh or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, by some agreement. So this isn't just like, this was a spiritual thing, like, oh, I'm going to give my, um, my pecans, my pecans to the church. 
But it's whatever it is, okay? It's me when I, when I worked Corbin Home Improvements, right? It's me making a promise to my, to my customers, right, that I'm going to do something. I mean, now, there, some things happen, and we'll get to that later in the message here. But even in that moment when some things happen, I'm still what? I'm still bound, okay, to do whatever I can to make that work. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth, okay? So that's God's standard. That's God's instruction to us, okay, that when we make a vow, when we give our word that we're going to do something. Now, does that mean that I have to put my hand on the Bible and say, so help me God? Mm -mm, No. No, it just means... If I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Deuteronomy 23, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to do a lot of walking, okay? And so you have them on your sheet, sermon note sheet, if you got that, where we're going to go, okay? Some, a lot of them are smaller, so we're going to go there. I'm not going to put them up on the screen today, forcing everybody to use their Bibles. So sometimes I put them up there, um, and then people get lazy. So none of them are up there today. So we're going to, you get forced to use your Bible, Okay? So Deuteronomy 23, and here I say that, I'm being a hypocrite, because I'm going to use my piece of paper. <laughs> Anyways, Deuteronomy 23, okay, verses 21 to 23. When you make a vow to Yahweh your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for Yahweh your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. So those of you who are involved with the Good News Club, okay, what is sin? Sin is anything that I think say or do that displeases god so summing it all up what is sin sin is when i disobey god god said don't do this i do it that's a sin god said do this i don't do it it's a sin okay so god says if you don't do this if you don't immediately seek to perform what you said it would be a sin to you but if you abstain from vowing it shall not be a sin to you ah now that's a new piece of information for us for our instruction here. If you abstain from vowing, it shall not be a sin to you. That which is gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. You shall volunteer, for you voluntarily vow to Yahweh your God what you have promised with your mouth. So, if again, you open up your mouth and you say, I'm going to do something, then what? You better do it. But if don't, don't say, I'll do it. So I'll make something simple with my kids. A lot of times my kids want to ask me, Dad, can we do X, Y, or Z? And my answer is, I don't know. We'll see later on. I'll have it in my mind that you would like to do X, Y, or Z, but I don't know how the day is going to play out. So I don't want to tell you that we're going to do that. And then all of a sudden, A and B jumps into the middle of the day and X, Y, and Z are going to go out the window. Does that make sense? Because now I've what? I broke my promise. I'm not a man of my word. Something else came up. Doesn't matter. I should have been thoughtful. I should have not made rash promises. Okay? We'll talk about some of those in a moment. Okay? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Turn to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5, beginning of verse 1. It says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. That's the second time we've seen that. Don't delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not to pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams, in many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. Okay? But but fear God. It didn't go on to the next one, by the way, Mark. Okay? No, no, you're good. You're good. So, 
So again, don't be rash with your mouth. Okay? Rash. Rashness. When do we tend to be rash? Say again. When we're angry. Okay. I'm, but I'm thinking about making a vow. Sometimes we can make a vow. That's not a good vow, generally, right? Okay. But when do we tend to make uh, promises rashly? I mean, it kind of goes along with what you're saying. Say again. When we're happy, but more when we're in a when we're in a hurry, or we feel pressured. We feel pressured. We feel in some whatever. It could be a happy pressure. Okay. It could be an angry pressure. Make sense? But when we have this sense of I need to say something, we're told here: let your words what be few. Close your mouth. Make sense? Close your. Don't say anything. Okay, because it's better not to vow, it's better not to say anything than to say something rashly. Okay, because again, God is in heaven. He hears everything you say. And when you give your word to do something, you're made in his image and likeness, right? When you give your word to do something, that means he's going to hold you to it. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So Matthew chapter five, this is the words of Jesus. Matthew five. I like hearing that. It's great. Matthew 5, verse 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said of those to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. I can guarantee you that. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Wow. So, um, are we getting a little bit more here? A little bit more detail. And this is God in the flesh talking to us. A lot of people like to discount the words of Jesus, and they say, well, that's only for kingdom, that's for the millennium. That's what... No, man, this is, this is my God in the flesh giving me his personal teaching, right? He says, let your yes be yes. And you know, if you got to say yes and then make some sort of a promise, that means that ultimately the other individual doesn't believe that your word is what? Is good anyway. It's not trustworthy. Now, I get that then in a court of law because you don't know who's coming up, whether they're trustworthy or not. So that's why the, the swearing on the stack of Bibles kind of started out. You swear for, you know, because there was some understanding in our country years ago and there's not anymore that when somebody made an oath before god that they under that they had a fear of god and that they would hold true to it just because of that but we've taught it we've taught our nation for over two generations now that there is no god that we worship a god of evolution and not a god who created all things and so there's no reason to give an oath to a god who doesn't exist that kind of is meaningless but not to you and me and that's where, again, Jesus says, change the way you think. Because we have the stinking thinking of the world. Okay? That we think like the world thinks. And we, 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 want, we think that we can be just as fickle and flighty as the world is on all this stuff. But no, not so before God. God says, look, you better think before you speak. Because whatever you say you're going to do, I'm going to hold you to it. Jesus said, don't swear by heaven. It's where God lives. Don't swear by the earth. It's his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. In other words, how can you, how can you even think about using one of those things for you as leverage? Does it make sense? I mean, who am I to take heaven and use it as a, as a guarantee of my word? Go ahead, John. Yeah, exactly. Collateral. I'm going to use heaven as collateral. I mean, really? No way. I mean, you know, I swear, I swear by heaven above. Really? And so if you're not true, I get to have heaven above? No, it doesn't work that way. You know, I swear by the earth beneath. Well, you don't own the earth. Who owns the earth? God does again. And I swear by Jerusalem. How can you swear by Jerusalem? I swear by the temple. I swear by the gold of the temple. You can't do any of that stuff. It's not yours. What if I say that if I don't do it, you can kill me? That's something that's mine, huh? 
How many of you want to say that? Yeah. It doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, we'd love to give everything. I'm going to give up heaven. I'm going to give up the earth. I'm going to give up the kingdom of God, but I don't want to give myself up. Sounds a little bit like Satan, doesn't it? That's what Jesus said, because it's of the evil one. Kind of interesting, isn't it? When we start to really realize, again, in the spiritual realm, that things play out like they play out. Again, I've said, said this before. You, you, you can't be on both sides of the fence, man. You've got to be on one side of the fence. You're on the God side or you're on not God side, which is Satan's side. We just don't like to think of it that way. And you've got to realize that there's... Don't think of that fence like it's just a little bitty, you know, little picket fence, you know, nice, nice little thing. But think of it as a big old fence with barbed wire all rolled on top of it, and, you know, and you're trying to straddle that thing with barbed wire on you. It doesn't play well, okay? So, James 5, short verse. Somebody go there. Or we all go there. James 5. Okay? Short verse, James 5. James is considered to be the New Testament Proverbs, almost. James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, lest you fall into condemnation. judgment, condemnation. Now, what's fun about this is who was James? The brother of Jesus. What do we know about James at the point of Jesus' resurrection? Say again? He didn't believe. Yeah, in fact, what do we read in the Gospels that James and his brothers did while Jesus was on the earth? They thought he had a... An evil spirit or whatever. They thought he was out of his mind. They, they didn't know what to do. But now all of a sudden, here we got James, the brother of Jesus. Do you realize what he just did? He quoted his brother. Or his, if you would, half-brother. <laughs> Make sense? He quoted the guy that he thought was a crackpot. He changed the way he thought. And now all of a sudden, he's speaking the same words that he made fun of. Are you tracking where I'm going? We need to change the way we think. We need to become like James. This needs to be able to just to roll out of our mouth. You know, let her yes be yes or no be no. Okay? That we don't take the binding oaths. Unless you know you're going to keep it. Proverbs 20, 25. Proverbs 20, 25. I'll read this. You guys can start going to Psalm 15. Let me just read Proverbs 20, 25 for you. It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. It's a snare. Just read in Proverbs 6. But Psalm 15, okay, Psalm 15. We want to read the first five verses. It's a Psalm of David, so David's speaking. He says, Yahweh, who, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? That's an important question, isn't it? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors. He honors those who fear Yahweh. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. One who swears to his own hurt and doesn't what? Change. Wait, I didn't realize what that was going to cost me. Uh, nope, I'm backing out. Sorry, deal's over. I renege. It doesn't happen that way. I didn't read the fine line. Whose fault is that? Was the fine line there, the fine print there when you signed the line? It was there. You just chose not to read all those user agreements before you put your initials on that thing. And they start stealing all your information and, and sending it off every place else. You get what I'm saying? That's no, 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 today's thing with software, right? I mean, I'm as guilty. That's why I can use that one. I mean, I, who wants to read Microsoft's legalese, right? Get me to the bottom of that thing. Just sign it. One of these days, we're going to sign something. We're going to initial off on something, and we're going to regret that thing. 
car, car loans, home loans, all the fine print that's going on in that thing. And we just say what? Yeah, 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 yeah. 30 pages? You're nuts, man. I could be here forever. Just sign, 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 sign. Oh, it's okay. The lawyer tells you what? Oh, it's all good. This is just legalese. Don't worry about it. It just says you're going to pay. Yeah, okay. Right, right, right. You know, not all of a sudden tomorrow you own, you, they own your first child. So, um, because, you know, where did that one at? You know, oh, it was in there. I didn't read it. I want to renege. You can't. Because why? You signed. God says that that one abiding in his presence is going to be the one. Now, understand, this isn't meaning you've got to work salvation and that kind of stuff. I'm not going there, okay? But the reality is, if, if I know God, make sense? And I love him with all my heart, then I'm going to love what he loves, and I want to be conformed to his image and his likeness. And so if Jesus is telling me certain things, and God is telling me certain things about it, then that ought to be how I want to live my life. Does it make sense? So he swears to his own hurt. I did a job once where I miscalculated the trim really bad because I wanted to do this guy a really nice job. And so I could have gone and got the basic trim and, and cut some of my losses, but I already knew in my heart. Now, I, may not even, I didn't even tell him what I was going to do. Does it make sense? But I knew in my heart what I wanted to do for this guy. I think I made like two bucks an hour on that job. Because you're paying your labor, yeah? And you're buying your material. And in the end, whatever's left is yours. And you don't want to divide out sometimes how many hours you put into a job. And then what you really made from that job. Okay? That was an ouch. Okay? And I mean, I can tell you other jobs like that. But that's the reality is that if you gave your word to do something, then you what? You do it, even if it's to your own hurt. Even if it costs you. So as a business guy, that means even if I made nothing on it, but I actually took a loss. I had a woman walk away with an insurance check. She bought a van. I paid for half of her bathroom. I could have taken her to court, but that would have been ugly and messy. But it was worse for the plumber. He only got... A couple hundred bucks out of it. And he paid for most of the plumbing of the whole thing. But you make it, you make it, you give your word on something. Does it make sense? And so I never charged anybody ahead of time because I was going to be a man of my word. I didn't want you to pay me any money until I was done with my work so that you knew that I was a man of my word. The problem is you take, a, you take the uh, risk that what? Somebody else is going to be a person of their word. But I don't give an account for that lady. Does that make sense? She's going to give an account to God. She claims to be a believer. But I am going to give an account for me. So, some illustrations then that God has in his word about these things, about doing it to your own hurt. So, back to Proverbs 6. You don't need to turn there. We've already read it. Well, you can turn there if you want to. But just using it quickly as the illustration... It's that this concept of being shorty. He's going and says what? Do whatever you can to what? Get out of it. But if the reality is what's not stated, but it's really stated there, but if you what? If you can't get out of it, then what? You're stuck. I've been a co-signer for three now of my kids' school loans. I hate it. Because it goes against my principles. But without it, they wouldn't get the loan. And does that make sense? And so maybe I should have just gone that way, maybe. But it's a struggle for me. But, I, but we have a conversation. I can tell each one of the kids it was that we have a conversation when I do this. And I let them know that I'm doing something that really goes against my grain biblically. And so you now are on the carpet for trustworthiness. Because if you don't pay it, I will. Because I'm becoming surety for your loan. But it's your loan, not my loan. I have a certain amount of money that we tell the kids we're going to help them toward, and the rest is theirs to pay. If they want to go someplace expensive, that's up to them. If they want to cut the cost, they can do that. It's up to them. 
But in that moment when I'm signing that, that loan, which is their loan, the reality is that what? If they bail out on it, I'm buying it. I'm paying it. And I'm not going to bail out on it. Does that make sense? That's been good for my kids, though. So even though it's a negative for me, it's been good for them because it has caused them, they understand that it's not something visual for them. It's not just this company out there, but it's dad. Make sense? If they let that loan down, they're letting dad down because dad's going to pay. Make sense? Dad's going to pay. Okay? Um, Secondly, Israel in the Gibeonites, Joshua 9. You can turn there and look at that. We're not going to really go and read it, though. I'm counting on your little Old Testament memory here, okay? So Joshua in the Gibeonites, or Israel, Israel in the Gibeonites. What happened there? Who were the Gibeonites? Why are we even talking about them? Go ahead, Chuck. Wait, wait, I'll tell you what. You're probably going to be a little longer on, on your answer, so let me... No, 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 I don't mean that wrong. It's just... It's, it's not a yes or no question, so... Go ahead, Chuck. So Israel's in the promised land. They're starting to conquer the promised land and having some pretty good success. They've conquered Jericho, eventually conquered Ai after a misstep. And then the Gibeonites realize that they're in trouble. Um, And so they come under false pretenses. They come, they have worn sandals, they have wine, uh, bread that's moldy and et cetera. And they they basically um, uh, pull one over on the Israelites because the Israelites don't, ask God, and they make a treaty with the Gibeonites to, um, to protect them, basically, and to be friends with them, even though God had told them that the Gibeonites were part of who they were supposed to conquer. Okay, so you, made a, you used the term. You, you called it a treaty. Okay. A covenant. They made a covenant. They made a, a vow. vow. They made a promise. Do you get it? We use a lot of different terms to describe the same thing. Make sense? They gave their word to the Gibeonites. Now, the Gibeonites were lying. They were deceivers. Okay? They had false pretenses. But do you realize something? It didn't matter. It didn't change. It didn't change. Because the Gibeonites, or the Gibeonites, the Israelites, could have asked God for wisdom and counsel, right? They said, in their own mind, we got this one. No sense bothering God with such a small little political detail. Okay, and so they looked at everything themselves. So yeah, well, the bread's moldy, and yeah, the, the the leather's worn out. This must have been a really long trip, you know. You know, they, look at the long hair they got. But I don't think they were just hippies. And so yada yada yada. And so we'll make this covenant with you. We'll make this agreement. You know, we're not going to kill you guys. And then all of a sudden they find out what? It's the next city on the hit list. Oops. But what did they know? At that moment, what did the elders know? They had to be true to their word. I don't have the verse there for you. It's in um, Samuel's. I can't remember exactly the reference right now. But um, Saul, we're told, at some point killed the remainders of the Gibeonites, or many of them. And also, a curse came upon Israel years later. And David found out that the curse was because of what Saul did to the Gibeonites. And he asked, the, so he brings the Gibeonites and says, what must we do? And, that's, and so, to, to rectify this. And so, they give him the answer and, and David does it. And then the curse goes away from Israel. But that's what God thinks of you keeping your word. Even a vow, even a vow that was made, if you would, with wrong pretenses added to it. You think that would be one that you could what? You could break, that you could get out of. God says, no, you should have asked me. You should, you should have searched this thing out before you gave your word. But you gave your word, and now you're what? You're stuck to it. One word, Jephthah, makes many people cringe. If you don't know the name Jephthah, then you don't understand the story. If you know the name Jephthah, you ought to be cringing right now. Because Jephthah made a rash vow. He was an illegitimate son, if you would. And his brothers came, because he was a man of war, a man of great valor, they came to him and said, we're going to make you the king. 
And he says, really, you're going to make me the king? You, you spit on me all the rest of my life, and you don't have any time of the day for me, but now you want to make me the king. Well, why did they want to make him the king? Well, it's because the, the Ammonites, I think it was, that were attacking him, and they needed somebody to be their, 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 their um, defender, right? Their deliverer. And so he says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll be that guy, but you've got to do these things. And they said, yeah, well, we'll do that. Okay, so, so now he is engaged with the, I'm going to say Ammonites, and I could be wrong. You can Somebody check me out on this one, but anyways... It is it the Ammonites? Yeah. So he's, he's engaged with the Ammonites, and he's giving them a history lesson, because they're, they're trying to make false pretenses on him. Okay? And so he's giving them a, a history lesson of, of really what happened with Israel coming in. But in the midst of all this, seeking after God and giving them a right history lesson, he then makes a rash promise, vow, before God. And says, God, if you give me this victory, then I will Allah, Allah, I will, Allah, I'll tell you, tell you the word in a moment. I'll give, I'll, I will make an Allah of the first thing that comes out of my house. Allah is an important word here. I'll come back to it, okay? He goes out, he gets the victory, he comes home, and the first thing that comes out of his house, comes out of the door, is his daughter. And he starts weeping. Oh, my daughter, you know, you've made me so sad. And she says, well, Father, if you have gave your promise, you need to what? You need to honor it. You need to keep it. Only give me a couple weeks to go out with my friends and you can you do this thing, right? And there's always this big debate. What happened to her? What did he do? Allah is that which is irrevocably given over unto God to destruction. That's what Ula is. Ula is the burnt sacrifice. That's what Ula is. If it was a minkah, that's an offering. It, so a minkah doesn't have to be burnt up. A minkah doesn't have to be destroyed. It's just given as an offering. A korban. A korban. Not korban, but korban. Anyways, I think I'm a korban. Anyways, but a korban is just a general offering as well. Doesn't have to be burned. But an Ula. Allah is, de- is given over to destruction. And before you say, wait, God wouldn't honor that, read the last chapter, I think, of Leviticus, where it talks about um, human sacrifice. Now, I'm not going to tell you what he did and what he didn't do. All I know is he took a rash vow, and he what? He regretted it. But he kept to it even to whatever extent that is, and I do think that he sacrificed her. And that his daughter, like Isaac, was willing and accepted it based upon the vow that he had made. That's pretty powerful. Now, I'm not teaching you to have human sacrifices, okay? That's, that's like, wrong. But the point is, don't make rash vows, Quit saying, if, or else, don't do it. Get rid of the or else's. Does it make sense? That's where we, the anger part, right? Where we get in trouble. Don't you wonder what your list of or else's looks like in heaven right now? You don't even probably remember half of them. Okay, you probably don't remember 90% of them. Because we let them go. Because we don't care about what our words are. But do you realize that when Jesus came to the earth, what was the, the illustration that was, he was used by? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and God was the Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the rhema, the Word of God. Words are important. Do you realize even the, the name of God... Yahweh, is made up of four Hebrew consonants. yod Hey vav Hey, yod Hey vav Hey. Now, a consonant, a consonant, just for ourselves, it's a little English class here, okay? Uh, a consonant is when you close your mouth. A vowel is when you open your mouth. That's what allows the, 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 the breath. So, if I say, Bob, the b was my B's, right? But the O allowed me to open my mouth to let everything else come out. So, Bob. There are three Hebrew consonants 
that are really vilish. They really have like breath that comes out of them. Hyod, hyod, hyod. Hey. Hua, hua, hua. Hey. And so if you get rid of the vowel pointings that we have in the Hebrew and just say his name, Because God breathed into us the breath of life. When you speak, what's happening? You're breathing out life or death. That's where James says, this is a little off the side here, okay? Just kind of going with it, you know? That James says, you can't drink both sweet and, 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 and salty. I'm messing this thing up. James 2 with the water, right? I mean, it just, you can't do both. Say again. You can't bless, yeah. You can't, yeah, you can't bless and curse. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. But we do when we breathe it out. When you then make that vow, you are breathing out a promise. Almost, in a sense, like giving your life as collateral. Though we wouldn't state it that way. We wouldn't even want to think of it that way. Leaders, let me read these to you for the sake of time. But 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2 is on top of your bulletin, actually, over the, in the, the order of service. Let, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful or, if you would, trustworthy. That a leader, that a leader ought to be someone who is trustworthy. That if he says he's going to do something, you will expect the fact that he will what? He'll do it. Exodus eighteen twenty one says, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth. And literally, it is men who are true. Hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. Why? Because if you put them over those people, you want to know that they're going to do what you ask them to do. They're trustworthy. Second Timothy 2, 2. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach, speak, teach others also. That these are faithful men, trustworthy men, who will do what they are required to do. So, what are the implications? First of all, the implications to our nation. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah 5. I want to read verses 1 to 9. Jeremiah 5. I know, often we go to Jeremiah. If you were in Sunday school about a year ago, we would have, you'd been gone there a lot. Jeremiah 5, 1-9. Run to and fro through the streets of New York, through the streets of Atlanta, through the streets of Augusta. You get what I'm saying, okay? Through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek in her open places if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks to be trustworthy, who seeks the truth. But literally, it's who seeks to be true. And I will pardon her, though they say, as the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, surely they swear falsely. That's why I say, who seeks to be trustworthy, who seeks to be true to his word. Because everybody is swearing what? Falsely. They say what they want to say, because their word is meaningless. O Yahweh, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they are not grieved. They have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, surely these are poor. They are foolish. For they do not know the way of Yahweh, the judgment of their God. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of Yahweh, the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken 
the yoke and burst the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest shall slay them. A wolf of the desert shall destroy them. A leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. Their backslidings have increased. How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's houses. They were like well-fed, well-fed lusty stallions. Everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, says Yahweh? And shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I don't know about you, but I'm reading the United States right there. We've become a nation of people who don't honor their word. Now, I, I get it. I, I know where I'm, I'm standing right now. And, and all I can tell you is, this is, I'm not picking on anybody, okay? This is just God's word, okay? But the reality is, we make decisions that reflect upon Jesus Christ. And we can pick on the unbelievers. We can pick on the sinners. But when the church does the exact same thing, we stand in condemnation on ourselves. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. Read it. Romans chapter 1 we love. Because it's talking about what the, the, that those sinners are doing. But chapter 2 starts off with what, Justin? Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. Why, Justin? Because you judge those who do such thing and you do them yourself. It's a great passage to memorize, isn't it? We don't like that passage, though. It's not a really good passage. Therefore, you are inexcusable. Because you do the exact same thing. Judge not, lest you be judged. I want to pick on the world. Because they're like, ah, ah, no, no, no. Oh, yeah? What about you? What about me? Am I doing the exact same thing? Matthew 19. Oh, I'm sorry. Proverbs 6. I forgot it. Threw that one in there. That's again, financial debt. So, do you, do you stick to your debts? Or are you paying your debts? You know, the minute you turned on the lights, you had a what? You had debt. You owe Georgia Power. That's exactly right. Okay? Do you pay your debts? Okay? Now, look, I get it that there are times when people have to go into um, uh, bankruptcy or whatever. But it better be the extreme exception rather than a role for a believer. And even if you have to, it doesn't mean that when you come out the other side, you, you, you don't never have to pay off those people. You do. You should. Because your commitment was to God, not to them. Does that make sense? So even if i got to claim bankruptcy, when I come out of the other side of bankruptcy, I'm still going to be writing checks to Visa and MasterCard and everybody else that I still owe. Because I made a what? A promise. And I'm not asking them to pay my load. I've got a guy that I know who owes one of my sons $10,000. It's very hard when I minister to him. Because he still has this outstanding debt that he's chosen to, to move on with. I think he owes you too, don't he, Zach? Yeah. So, it's a hard thing. How do you deal with that? Well, before God, I think that person will never ultimately fully be blessed. They'll continue to struggle until they pay off what they owe. Does that make sense? Not because it's my son, not because of Zach or whatever, but because there's a promise before God. If you want to be a godly person, you have to pay your vows. Marital vows. Matthew 19, verse 3 to 11. Again, you can go look this one up later, okay? Or you can look it up now while I'm talking. But Jesus says what? What God has put together, let not man put asunder. Okay? When you stand before... in the, I mean, everybody wants a church wedding. I don't get it. They don't ever want to go to church anyway, but they want a church wedding. And they want to stand before God and say what? Till death do us part, and they're, they're going to make this vow before God. And act like it didn't matter. So when I perform a wedding, I usually step aside and tell everybody else who's watching, you're also witnesses. So if, some, if, if Justin Carey, I did theirs out in Washington, okay, flew all the way out there. So, I mean, man, I got a commitment to this thing, you know. And so... And, but everybody else had a commitment that came too. Because now they're watching. And if these two start floundering and they start not to keep their word, they are witnesses before God that these two people made a vow. 
And they made a vow, not just in front of everybody, but they made a vow before God. They made a vow to themselves, they made a vow before all these people, and they made a vow to God. They made a vow to the state. I mean, think about it. I mean, even before the state, you're making a, a declaration. And so when you walk away from the vow, I think there's massive implications to that. I think there's a lot of things that we could have worked out, that the world would have seen that we worked out. And that they would be amazed at the trophies of grace that God could have. But we bail out on God. In what I believe is, I think Psalm 19. Tell me if I'm wrong with this one. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God. Is that Psalm 19? Day unto day utters its speech. Is that Psalm 18 or 19? 19. And at the very end of Psalm 19, David makes this statement. And he asks God to keep him from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. What's a presumptuous sin? You presume. It's a sin of presumption. So you presumed on God's grace. You presumed on God's grace. Because God's going to have to what? Forgive you. He's always true to His own promises, right? So therefore, I don't have to worry about it, right? Because because I get to heaven anyway. So what? I lose a little bit of, of, of my rewards. Wow. That's a pretty, pretty bad concept, okay? Appointments. James 14, or James 14. Whew. James 4, verse 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if Yahweh, if the Lord wills, we will, shall live and do this or that. So, appointments. This is my talking to the kids about what we're going to do later. Make sense? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how the day's going to play out. I don't know how the week's going to play out. I am a schedule-driven individual. Most of you know that. I mean, I could go to my calendar and I can show you all the different colors on it. Okay? I mean, I've got a calendar for everything on this thing. Okay? But, I'm not going to make a commitment. I know when I'm supposed to meet with people. But I'm not going to say, this is when it's going to be. We're going to say, we'll set this thing up and then see how the what? The Lord plays this out. Make sense? You've got to be careful when you're giving your yes and your no, that ultimately it is if the Lord wills. So a lot of times you'll see that in the bulletin. I mean, I just, I feel bad saying it all the time. It's so, it's so redundant. But with the announcements, like, Lord willing, we're going to the Augusta Rescue Mission this Saturday. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to go. Make sense? Steve might. I'd be dead. So, I probably won't go. <laughs> Does it make sense? I mean, how do you, how do you say you're going to do that? I'm going to preach. Is that what he said? Uh, yeah, it's been so spirit. And so, you don't know how the, the week's going to play out. You don't know how the day's going to play out. You don't know how this next hour is going to play out. So, ultimately, it ought to be if the Lord wills. So, how important is it to you to keep your word? Would I say that you are trustworthy. That's an ouch. Okay? I mean, I challenge you sometime just to, to, to take a survey of your friends and of your spouses and what, your kids and whatever. And, 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 and you may not want to hear what you're going to hear, but tell them that there's no retribution if they tell you the truth. Okay? And then mean it. <laughs> Would God say that you are trustworthy? That's even a what? A bigger ouch. Well, 90% of the time, Okay, that means you're still a liar. Because I don't know which 10% is going to come on me, right? Our goal, our aim ought to be to be trustworthy when? All the time. We need to change the way we think. Our standard is the standard of Christ, not the standard of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love to us. Thank you that you love us enough to speak the truth to us that you don't hide in your word the times when people made rash decisions and that they were not true, but you showed us the consequences of those things. Lord, help us to learn from the mistakes of others. Help us to desire to reflect your image and your likeness in our life. You, Lord, are trustworthy. You are faithful and true. 
Lord, help us to be that in our words and in our actions. Lord, if anybody's here and, and you've laid on their heart one specific vow that they made that they haven't kept, but you're convicting them of it, Lord, that they wouldn't let it go aside, but that to honor you, they would seek to make that right. That you might be magnified and glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.